Leviticus chapter 9 is uh, where we're going to pick up this morning. We see the priestly ministry begins here in verse 1. It says, it came to pass on the eighth day. Now, I want to pause right there for a moment. Um, Maybe this rabbit trail will be far too long. But if you consider uh, that uh, God creates Adam on the sixth day, his first full day of existence is in the rest of the Sabbath. And then he launches into the eighth day of his work to tend in the garden. He begins his earthly work in ministry by resting on the Sabbath to prepare for that eighth day. It's a remarkable picture that's painted there. I like to take what we're being told in the New Testament about how a thousand years is but a day and a day is but a thousand years unto the Lord. And when you look at the genealogies that are recorded in the scripture, uh, you have 6,000 years uh, from the creation of the earth to where we are right now. I know a lot of people disagree with that and we could have many discussions, but as, as the scripture lays it out, from creation to where we stand today, 6,000 years. A day is but a 1,000 years. Six days have passed. Jesus Christ is going to reign on the earth for a 1,000 years in the millennium, the Sabbath. And then the destruction of all things, and you get to the end of the book of Revelation, and I looked and behold a new heaven and a new earth. That's where we're headed, Right? And so as we sit here right now, we're children of the new creation. Right now, we're looking forward to that eighth day. Understand that concept? You know, you don't have to agree with it. I'm just saying you understand the concept that we're children of the eighth day. We're looking forward to the new creation and what it is that the Lord holds in store for us. So it came to pass here, Leviticus chapter 9, on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel and said to Aaron, take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish. Offer them before the Lord and the children of Israel. You shall speak and to the children of Israel. You shall speak saying, take a kid of the goats as a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year, without blemish, as a burnt offering. Also a bull and a ram as a peace offering to sacrifice before the Lord. And a grain offering mixed with oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. Quite a statement. You know, on the eighth day, today the Lord will appear to you. And really a remarkable picture for Aaron. He does not know what is ahead of him. He he can't even imagine what it is that the Lord has prepared for him as he's about to step into this office and begin this life of ministry. So in verse 5, it says, they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting. And all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. Now, I'll point out again that all of this comes about 
because they're obeying the Lord, obeying the Lord, obeying the Lord, right? They have the command, it begins at Mount Sinai, really begins while they're in bondage, and the commandments come that they're to depart from their bondage, and the Lord's deliverance occurs, and they're delivered out of Egypt. But then, as he goes to Sinai, and he receives these specific commandments. You see that all through the process of assembling the tabernacle, and putting everything in order, and preparing for this moment, you're going to hear time and time again, the Lord commanded, and they obeyed. And the Lord commanded, and they obeyed. The thing that's going to bring the blessing in this experience, in our experience, is one, being careful to listen to the voice of the Lord and then careful to obey what it is that he's called us to do. That's going to be the thing that brings the fulfillment. So the Lord commanded you to do and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. Moses said to Aaron, verse 7, go to the altar, offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Again, the term atonement in there. We often think of that as some highly ritualistic meaning that it has something that's so you know religious and holy that the word itself is just a compound word of two you know at one meant right there in creation genesis chapter three adam and eve disobey the lord and the union that is between them and god is broken the at one meant is now separation. You hear the voice of God as he comes into the garden that day and he's having to call out to Adam and say for the first time, where are you? You shouldn't think of that as the voice of an arresting officer who shows up in the garden and is demanding of Adam, where are you? That's not what God is saying. His son, who he's created, who he's had fellowship with every day, since the beginning of his existence, he would arrive in the cool of the day and walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. You can only imagine what the discussions might have been in those experiences. Arrives and Adam is not where he belongs. Adam is not to be found. And God has to say, where are you? Any of us that are parents that have had children, you lose them anywhere for even a moment right? A moment. God help us if it's minutes, right? If minutes pass, the fear grows. The panic becomes incessant. God arrives and yeah, he knows where Adam is. But the illustration that the separation is so complete that God has to call out to him because he's not where he belongs. God is trying from that point forward to make them at one again. So when you come to this moment, yeah, there's a ritual involved, but make atonement for yourself and for Israel. Make yourself at one with me. Make the nation of Israel at one with me through your obedient sacrifice, through doing the things I've asked you to do. A burnt offering, make atonement for yourself and for the people. Offer the offering 
of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. Verse 8, Aaron therefore went to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Now, if your mind drifts back to the previous chapters where we saw these similar sacrifices taking place, remember it was Moses performing the sacrifices with and for Aaron and for the priests. Now he's handing that responsibility and activity over to Aaron. And now we're watching Aaron go through these practices. So he himself had to be prepared by someone else in order to serve the Lord. I've heard pastors and ministers talk about how when we stand here, we've got to be in the right place spiritually in order to be worthy to deliver these messages and serve the body of Christ. Sounds noble. (laughs) None of us ever stands here worthy. There isn't anything I can do to stand here and be fit for this moment. The thing that provides me this opportunity is the grace of God. It's his sacrifice. It's his sacrifice that makes it possible. You watch me closely, I tell you to, follow my example. But you get me under the microscope, you're going to discover my humanness. We are all flawed, every one of us. I certainly seek to lead by example as the Lord gives me opportunity. But there has to be a sacrifice. For us, it is Jesus Christ. Aaron is here following what the Lord has called him to do. Went to the altar, killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Then the sons of Aaron brought the blood to him, dipped his finger in the blood, put it on the horns of the altar, poured the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat, the kidneys, the fatty lobe from the liver of the sin offering, he burned on the altar as the Lord had commanded Moses. The flesh of the hide he burned with fire outside the camp. Again, all according to the mandates of the Lord. And again, symbolic of Jesus, the sacrifice made as he shed his blood within the confines of the city during the trial, but then was taken outside the city and crucified there on Calvary. Verse 12, and he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around on the altar. Then they presented the burnt offering to him with its pieces and head, He burned them on the altar, and he washed the entrails and the legs, and he burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Verse 15, then he brought the people's offering, took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people, killed it and offered it for sin, like the first one. And he brought the burnt offering, and he offered it according to the prescribed manner. And he brought the grain offering, took a handful of it, burned it on the altar beside the burnt sacrifice of the morning, remembering that they would keep portions for themselves as the priests in order to sustain them, that they could continue in ministry before the Lord. Verse 18, he also killed 
the bull and the ram as sacrifices of peace offerings. Many of these offerings are put forward uh, to cover uh, the sin of the individual, the priest, or the nation. Uh, Some of them are made just to create peace and fellowship uh, between the person who wants to offer it and the Lord. You know, I think many times I've had the opportunity to just go away and be alone with the Lord. And I don't have to concentrate on, you know, sermon preparation or studies in order to feed anyone else, just to go and hear for myself what it is the Lord has to say, that I would have that peacefulness in my own life. You know, we each should have our own prayer closet, you know, a place, a time in our life where we get alone with the Lord simply for creating the peacefulness of relationship, not the time where it's gotten so bad, now I've got to go and confess and restore a relationship that's been broken or lost, just that I have that fellowship with him and get to experience the peacefulness of my relation. So this peace offering, which were for the people, Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around on the altar, the fat from the bull of the ram, the fatty tail, what covers the entrails and the kidneys, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and they put the fat on the breast when he burned the fire on the altar. But the breast uh, and the right thigh Aaron waved as a wave offering before the Lord, as Moses had commanded. Now in verse 22, it says, Then Aaron lifted his hands toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, the peace offering. Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting, came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. You would think so, right? There's no, no one's out there. Uh, with oil and torch to light the fire. This fire emanates out from the presence of the Lord, seemingly the way that it's described, to come out of the tabernacle, out of the tent. Uh, The Holy of Holies is inside there, the the Ark of the Covenant, and the Lord uh, brings this fire out to ignite this flame. That's got to be an unthinkably remarkable experience to have the presence of the Lord. Moses had said, in your obedience and doing these things, you're going to see the fire of the Lord. You're going to see the presence of the Lord as he brings you this opportunity to be in his presence. Uh, This whole thing that uh, has occurred in the religion of Christianity, uh, you, you take the history of Judaism and Moses, you know, Abraham, and then the 12 tribes, and then the captivity in Egypt, and Moses leads the people out. And now here we are at the development of the priesthood and the law. And that continues on until Jesus' arrival. When Jesus comes, right, tears the veil inside the temple, symbolically opening the entrance all the way into the Ark of the Covenant, giving anyone 
free access into the presence of the Lord. We now have the opportunity, like the high priests, to go straight into the presence of the Lord, to experience this fire that would come directly from him into our own lives, right? John the Baptist comes and as he's baptizing, he said, sure, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We, we have this opportunity to have that personal relationship with the Lord where the fire described here it can ignite our, our very own heart, a very own mind. Most of us know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it either burns continuously in us or we've had those moments where the flame of the Lord just ignites in our lives and, and it's an undeniable experience with him. Most of us know what that's like. There's an unfortunate thing within Christianity that happens when Constantine, the Roman emperor, recognizing that Christianity is just flooding through all of the Roman Empire. Literally, his armies are diminishing to near nothing because Christians will not join. They're all worshiping Jesus Christ and they're staying away from Rome and all of its influence because Rome is killing them, torturing them, tormenting the body of Christ, scattering them all over Asia Minor. And suddenly... Constantine, the Roman emperor, announces that he's had a vision from God. The symbol of the cross is supposedly what he saw. And he hears a voice telling him, in this symbol, in this sign, you will conquer. And he declares Christianity the Roman state religion in that moment. Christianity dies right there, 350 AD, done. You have to recognize that it had grown exponentially unchecked for all of that time, nearly 300 years. The moment it becomes the state religion of Rome, the corruption that enters in destroys it. In particular, the thing that destroys it more than anything is the institution of the Roman Empire's priesthood. They put in place priests. Most of them are just completely pagan. And I mean completely pagan. They're teaching the people to worship Zeus and all the pantheon of the Greek, now Roman gods. That's what they're doing. And suddenly Constantine says, no, not the Greek gods, now the Christian god. So they literally just go through the process of changing. No, now rather than worshiping Semiramis and Nimrod, we're going to worship, you know, Mary and the Christ child, Jesus. We'll just convert all of these gods over to Christian saints and the people can begin to pray to them. You see, we have one high priest, Jesus Christ, and he tore the veil so that we didn't have to go through a priest anymore. We had direct access into this fire described here. The replacement 
of our high priest with men. With men was the thing that destroyed Christianity more than anything. The growth that had been occurring nonstop since the ascension of Jesus Christ back into heaven died right there. Christianity stopped growing. Historically, Christianity stopped growing right there. It was all through the Roman Empire and everybody began to celebrate. Oh, now we're not going to be persecuted. But the weakness that set in, it was the persecution and the hatred of our faith that caused it to thrive and grow. The strain that caused it to grow, right? We've quoted countless times that James chapter 1, right? Consider it pure joy whenever you're faced with trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's, it's the pressure that causes the growth. Tell me that hasn't happened in your own life. As you coast along, and you get lazy and weak. And now you have the tragedy. Now you have the test. And you find yourself on your knees. And before you can even get up, the next wave comes. And you find you stay there. And eventually you realize you're face down all the time. But you're much stronger than you've ever been before. The trial and the test has produced strength in your life. It's when it's easy, when there is no strain, that we become sick. It's when we become apathetic. It's when we begin to fail. It's when the trial and the test is there that we grow when we are strong. Once the state religion was Christianity no more persecution. Christianity immediately died. It faded. And it continues to die to this day. Every single time that the circumstances are easy. Right now, our country, our culture, our world is under such strain. And the Christians are praying. People are pouring their heart out to God. And we're seeing changes. Pray that the Lord would Keep us in that place. That high priest, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Aaron, that high priest, has been replaced by Jesus Christ, our high priest. So in chapter 10, as we begin here in verse 1, it says, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire. You might want to underline that right there. Before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Oh, just think about this for a moment. Everything we've read up to this point was God said and they obeyed. God commanded and they did. And now we come to this first moment in all of the assembly of the tabernacle, in all of the practice of the priesthood, where we hear the word profane and disobedience described. Did something that the Lord did not command. 
profane fire, which the Lord had not commanded. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Now we're going to see a more thorough description through some vague hints as we move through this. But we can very safely assume it wasn't as though Aaron is performing his duties. Nadab and Abihu rush in. The fire of the Lord shoots out and kills them. And Moses calmly steps up and says, you know, this is exactly what the Lord, it didn't go like that. If you are standing here as Aaron and you witness fire consume your two children, you are going to freak out. You're going to have an emotional meltdown that is undescribable. Amen? This man has to experience the loss of his two sons right in front of his eyes. I cannot imagine the horror, the horror of what just happened, the terror that is now in his heart. And, and what is it that Moses says to him? The Lord has to be regarded as holy. Indicating these two young men did not regard the Lord as holy. They didn't have the proper reverence. Oh, there is a profound movement in Christianity today that makes God your pal, makes God your buddy. You know, they like to quote you know, Jesus speaking to the apostles, you know, I no longer call you my servants, but I call you my friends. Yeah, Jesus is our friend. Yeah, turn a few pages and get to the book of Revelation and see Jesus standing there in front of John in his glory, right? Robes radiant like the sun, you know, at its noonday strength, right? Remember the last time you looked at the sun, directly at the sun and its noonday strength? Probably never, right? You've probably had a few occasions where you round the corner in the car and it nails you in the face, right? And you're doing all you can to duck and dive and shield, right? That's the glory of the Lord spoken of there. John sees his hair white as wool, Right? His feet like gleaming, highly polished brass. Ah, that's quite a picture, right? Sword proceeds from his mouth that he kills his enemies with eyes of blazing fire, burning coals of fire. That's not my pal. That's not my buddy, right? You know, I go pick up my friends now and then, and we go hang out and get pizza and, you know, maybe go see a movie. If I've got that dude in my truck, 
You know, people are going to take notice. This glorious being, a radiant sun emanating from my car. I mean, that's going to be an eye catcher. I want you to notice something. Make note of this somewhere. Write it down. Look it up later. Once Jesus Christ is resurrected, all of the apostles in their writings refer to him as the Lord Jesus Christ. Previous to that, they refer to him as Jesus, right? Occasionally, they refer to him as Jesus the Christ. Once resurrected, they all referred to him as the Lord Jesus Christ. They never talked to him as our buddy, our pal, you know, or even just Jesus. Kyriosk, master, Lord, right? The one who rules over is how they referred to him. Christianity has abandoned its reverence for the Lord. It has tried to make Jesus something far more personable, something far more human. It is his deity that must be worshipped, right? When he says to the woman at the well, the time is coming where people will worship me in spirit and in truth, right? So very often what people want to do today is simply worship him in truth. Study the word of God, hold on to those things. Don't understand the attitude, the spirit that is behind that truth. Right here, you're seeing some of it. I can tell you right now that the person that doesn't properly fear the Lord will be consumed by the fire that emanates from the Lord. Right? Jesus said, you can either throw yourself upon him, the rock, you can throw yourself upon the rock, or you can wait until that rock falls upon you and grinds you to powder. Right? Humility is the end result. You're going to be humbled one way or another. You either humble yourself by throwing yourself upon the rock, or you can resist until that rock falls upon you and grinds you to powder. I'm not interested in the second option at all, right? This flame moments ago proceeded out and started worship, right? Began the whole process of worship. Now it proceeds out and destroys the people who do not have the proper respect and fear for the Lord. Most of us know the passage, right, that tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Oh, I don't like that. I don't want to fear God. You know, I don't want God to be something that's, you know, much more approachable. The power that he is and the power that he wields needs be respected. These young men did not have the proper respect. And so as a result, they were consumed by their arrogance. 10 verse 4, Then Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, Carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp 
So they went near, carried them by their tunics out of the camp as Moses had commanded. Some interesting things here. No one else touches them because now they're dead bodies. And now they're going to present an uncleanness to whoever touches them. Aaron has to keep his distance even from the dead bodies of his own children. He has to stay in this place. Remember how we talked about the fact that he has to stay in this position of priesthood, right? He has to continue to serve the Lord. If he departs out from the temple grounds, he himself will be killed by the Lord because he's under the anointing of the Lord. He's in the priestly robe. He's had the anointing oil poured over him. He has the fragrance of the Lord upon him. He's gone through the purification process. He can't even directly associate himself with the disposal of his own sons. That's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And yet there's a picture within it. You think about Jesus crying out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? And who is it that comes and collects his body? Two men, right? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, come and collect the body of Jesus and go and bury him. Interesting pictures all along the way. Moses said to Aaron and Eliezer and Ithamar, his sons, do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes, lest you die. The wrath Come upon all the people, but let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. I'll just, you know, give you the spoiler alert. They're not hard and callous. We're going to see a reference to the fact that these men are all in a tremendous state of mourning right now. There is a, there's no joy. It's been vacuumed right out of the atmosphere. But there is an obedience. As hard and as difficult as it is, Aaron is going to do exactly what he's been called to do in these circumstances. There's something to learn from that. I hear Christians sometimes talk about their neglect of fellowship and even the neglect of serving the Lord because they'll say things like, oh, I was just so depressed. I was so tormented. You know, we were fighting on the way to church, so I knew it was just better that we not go to church rather than be hypocrites. Hey, listen, when we're falling apart spiritually and we're at our lowest the very best thing you can do is in obedience, mechanically take one step right after the other. Just move forward. Do what you know you're supposed to do. Follow the call of the Lord into worship. I, I, I did that when I was a young Christian. You know, my wife and I were so immature. And I mean, you know, the devils would just show up at our house Sunday morning. It was crazy. Kids losing their mind, you know, spouses losing their mind, me or her or both of us. You know, pets losing their minds. Crazy, the stuff that would go on. 
you know, and you'd get to church in this sort of beat red veins standing out of your neck frenzy. And you feel like a total hypocrite just going from the rage to good morning, you know. <clears throat> and we drove away from the church on a few occasions. And in my mind, I was just doing trial and error as a young father, young husband, thinking like, it'll be better if we don't. It didn't get better. Even if the fight stopped right then, right? It's a lie that time heals all wounds, <laughs> right? Any of you that work in the medical industry know, right? A wound left untreated. Time doesn't heal anything. It festers. It creates an infection. I needed to walk through those doors mechanically. And I began to do that. And the word of God washed away the anger and the filth. And I began to learn, no, this, this is what my enemy is trying to keep me from. This is, this is what my enemy is trying to create in my life is this death. And this uncleanness. So I've got to stay in the place that I belong. I've got to continue to serve. I've got to continue to worship as the Lord has called me to. The very call of the Lord to stand before him. So they did according to the word of Moses. Verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. Wait a second. Wait a second. What is that going to do with anything? Well, why does that fit in this picture? Why does that come up right here in the midst of these two young men dying and all that's going on? Why in the world would this come up? I think it's twofold. Make note of it yourself and let's proceed forward. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. You nor your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Don't be intoxicated when you serve the Lord. That leads us to think two things. There's at least a strong possibility that Nadab and Abihu were intoxicated to some degree when they put the strange fire, the profane fire in their incense burners. And if you're wondering what that is about, the fire was supposed to come off from the altar and go into their incense burners and then the incense on top of it and they would offer incense before the Lord. That was the commandment. Strange fire implies they had fire elsewhere. They're sitting around the campfire having a few beers. Maybe something like that. And they just took that fire and put it in their incense burner and went in to serve the Lord. And the Lord struck them dead. So the first implication is that in all probability, there was some level of intoxicating drink involved in their misconduct of profane fire. That's the first thought. The second thought is Aaron and his sons would be tempted to quench the sorrow that was in their heart 
with their own consumption of intoxication. We, as children of God, are called to something different. Examine as we move forward. It's going to be a statute throughout all your generations that you may not uh, that you may rather distinguish between holy and unholy, uh, implying that if you're intoxicated, you're not even going to be able to distinguish between what is holy and what is unholy. If you're intoxicated, you're not going to be able to distinguish distinguish between what is profane fire and what is holy fire. Not going to be able to distinguish between what is simply my emotions stirring and actually the leading of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I was all wound up. So clearly that must have been the leading of the Holy Spirit. Maybe not at all. Maybe, but maybe not at all, right? Because the Holy Spirit does stir our emotions very deeply. But if we are on any level of intoxication, then how can we determine? Our judgment is clouded. We, we cannot distinguish. We cannot determine. Any of us that have used drugs and alcohol you know, to a large extent know that there's quite a bit of time that passes after we stop using it, right? If we use it habitually or regularly, it takes a while to where you really begin to clear up. Right. You say and do things that at the time you're thinking like I was so on the money. And then, you know, you, you quit. And months later, you look back and think, oh, my goodness, how foolish was I to have ever acted, behaved, said those things. You know, it's not just the next morning. Right. <laughs> Sometimes it's way down the road before we begin to have the clarity clouds our mind continuously. I recently having conversations with people who, you know, telling me they don't do drugs anymore. And then moments later talking about how they're smoking weed. And I'm saying, like, I thought you said you weren't doing drugs anymore. I'm not. But you just told me that you're smoking weed. Yeah, and drinking some beer. How frequently? Every day. But I don't use drugs anymore. This is where our culture is at. Does not recognize it. And then you, you know, get into the discussion. Oh, well, I'm also, you know, taking two different forms of psychotropic medications. And so, so you're on a host of things. Yeah. But they're not drugs. And in this person's mind, they're simply talking about, I'm not injecting heroin anymore. So therefore, I'm not talking about that being an extreme case. I'm talking about this is the culture we live in where that is literally how they're looking at things. Read Revelation again. You know, there's your extra credit homework for the week. And see how many times you're going to see in that book that all these curses and all these horrible things are coming upon planet Earth and they did not repent of their sorceries. And they did not repent of their sorceries. And they did not repent of their sorceries. If you're not aware of it, drug consumption is sorcery. That's not my opinion about it. That's what the scripture teaches. Uh, the term, right, sorcery, comes from the term pharmakia, which is where we get our word pharmaceutical and pharmacist from. Achieving a spiritual state through the consumption of drugs. 
that's going to cloud your ability to reason. These young men, simply drinking. They're just drinking. And now suddenly, in the moment, they find that they are dead. What a horrible experience to be going to serve the Lord and find yourself suddenly in his presence. That's a terrible state, terrible thing to have to experience. This shall be a statute all your generations that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean, that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. Well, I'm not a priest, Will. I'm, I'm not called to do that, so it's not really my responsibility. That's you know just the priesthood that's being spoken of here. I'd agree with you to some degree, but let's remember Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 5, where it says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted, right? That they may distinguish between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean, that they may teach the children of Israel the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. Whose responsibility is it to teach the world the statutes of God? Ours, mine and yours. If you think you're not a priest, if you think that you're not a king or a prince or a princess, I'll remind you of Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, where it says that Jesus has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. We have the responsibility to be the sons, right? Nadab and Abihu, the sons and daughters of Jesus. Are we not children of God? It is our responsibility to know and handle the oracles of God properly and to teach them to the world. I'll give you an example. Had a conversation last week, maybe I've already shared this with you, with a pastor. And in this discussion, the pastor said to me very politely, you know, why did the Lord lead you to come down to this community and start the church as you have done? There's 37 other churches in the greater Ellsworth area, whether you're aware of that or not. Why one more? And I said, well, the distinction for us is we teach the word of God verse by verse from Genesis to Revelation. Then he got a slightly smug look on his face and said, yeah, but if you're doing that, how are you ever going to touch on all of these subjects within our culture? You know, like drug use, homosexuality, transgenderism, you know. Listen, those of you that have sat here, especially for years, right, and been taught, we've been through the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, Three times in this church. Three times plus in this church. Have you ever thought, man, this guy is just missing all of the pertinent subjects? Right? Here, that that pastor does not trust 
the word of God to touch on these subjects. To which he's saying, I trust in myself. Ah, right. I'm trusting in the Holy Spirit and the word of God to touch on these subjects where another person is trusting in their self to find those subjects. Burning the proper incense fueled by the wrong fire. Interesting. Interesting what the church engages itself in. We are a kingdom of priests. We are the sons and daughters of God. Consider the sobriety necessary in order to minister. Verse 12, Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eliezer and Ithamar, his sons who were left. Take the grain offering that remains of the offering made by fire to the Lord and eat it without leaven beside the altar. This was the command of the Lord for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your son's due or the sacrifice made by fire to the Lord. For so I have commanded the breast of the wave offering, the thigh of the heave offering, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you. For they are your due and your sons due, which are given from the sacrifices of peace offerings of the Lord, the children of Israel. The thigh and the heave offering and the breast of the wave offering they shall bring with the offering of fat made by fire to offer as a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons with you by a statute forever as the Lord has commanded. Again, those that minister before the Lord should receive their substance and their sustenance from the ministry that they're serving in. 10.16 then says, Then Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering. And there it was, burned up. And he was angry with Eliezer and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, who uh, were left saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the holy place, since it is most holy and God has given it to you to bear the guilt of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord. See, it is the blood, its blood was not brought inside the holy place. Indeed, you have, eat, uh, you have uh, eaten it in a holy place as I commanded. Then look at 19, Aaron said to Moses, Look, this day they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. And such things have befallen me, exclamation point. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? So when Moses heard it, he was content. Moses is right in his sternness. But God is gracious and merciful because of this situation. The letter of the law is difficult to bear when we at times are, are dealing with our own human existence. They just watched their brother and their son die. And now Moses is talking about the required meals to be eaten. These people have no appetite. They have no ability, right? They have no ability at this point to perform this portion of their duty. In their humanness, they have no ability 
to perform the duty that is required of them. In the letter of the law, Moses is looking on and he has a condemnation in his heart and in his mouth. Once he hears what these men are actually going through, he has to administer what? God's grace. Even here under the law, Moses has to administer God's grace to those that are serving the Lord. I'll remind us of these two statements to close. I've already quoted John 4, verse 24. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Right? Yes, the truth, the letter of the law, but the spirit, the intent behind that. The only way you're going to know that is by knowing God himself. Right? Knowing God himself. When you know God himself, then you know what the truth should be viewed as. Lastly, Paul tells us in Romans 12, verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to have the proper reaction to the circumstances. We might even initially react with, what is this according to the word of God? And then when we receive the explanation, we'll say, Oh, that makes sense. I understand it better now. There needs to be that softness and flexibility to our person. If we try to draw this black and white rigid line, then we end up outside the parameters of what God intended. Needs to have the gentility of heart to understand. You need to give yourself that same forgiveness and grace and extend it to those around. I'm not talking about giving one another permission to just fail and live in sin. I'm talking about having the true spirit of God that understands the intent of our heavenly father. Right? We, we've all perhaps been in like workplaces or things like that where there's that one person who just wants to follow the letter of the law. But then when you actually talk to the boss, yeah, that's the rule they said. But, you know, in this situation, let's just calm down a bit. The Lord here understands the heartbreak that this family is experiencing. And he's very willing, very willing. As much as Moses is an angry guy, right? Smacking rock when he should be speaking to rock. Not being allowed inside the promised land when it's all said and done. He's also a man that truly knows and understands God. And when it comes to the moment and he's been corrected by Aaron, he takes it to heart. He understands the softness and the grace of the Lord. I pray that every one of us would embrace the same. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray together. Father God, I would just close by lifting up Rob, Adam, Sherry, Jason's grandmother again, asked that you would minister to them. Lord, if it's possible, give us the opportunity to speak directly to them. If not, take our prayers to their environment. Minister to them, please. Lord, for us, fill our hearts with the fire from off from your altar. The 
fire from your presence. That it would burn up the things that need to be consumed, the very sacrifices we offer to you. Burn up the flesh. Lord, we want to be holy before you. We want to serve you in the way that you would desire. Give us the strength for obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.